Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Aframeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Aframeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and this afternoon I'm delighted to have with me racing driver, sim racing driver, motorsport engineer, partner in Bianco Auto Developments and sponsor of last year's epic Future Alpha Racer Virtual Racing Championship, Paul Plant. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Guy. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. We'll talk about the, the racing business later on, but before we get into that, how did you first get interested in and involved in Alphas? Uh, quite simply, my mum and dad are to blame, actually. Uh, I was at school, probably, I think it was secondary school, and my mum actually had a quite a bad car crash. And at the time, she had a Citroen BX of all cars. And they went to a, a showroom to purchase, I, f- I forget what the car was, but in the showroom, uh, the chap owned um, a, I think it's five-year-old Alpha 75, Twin Spark. And my mum immediately fell in love with it. And she said that she wanted that one. So my dad approached the chap in the showroom and, and asked. And he said, well, it's not for sale. It's my wife's car. And so my mum was bitterly disappointed. Uh, they went and looked at a couple of other ones. And she was quite insistent that she really did want the car that was in the showroom. Uh, my dad went back. Uh, and despite it not being for sale, uh, he ended up walking away with the keys. Brilliant. Uh, and that, that's where it started. But it's, you know, the 75 was a great upgrade. Um, and, you know, over the, the few years that uh, my parents had it, my dad changed all the suspension on it, changed the steering wheel for one that wasn't the same size as a bus uh, and a few little bits. Uh, and then actually just before my 18th birthday, uh, I bought it off my mum. Right. So that was actually my first, my first Alpha. Brilliant. Um, did, did your parents carry on buying Alphas or was it just you that, that carried on with the, the No, they, they have done. My mum... My, I think my mum has a little bit of badge snobbery because I, I took home a Brera one day um, and she owned a, a BMW at the time and I didn't tell her what the car was and it was dark and she was cooing all over it saying how lovely it was and it was fantastic. And I, I joked and said that it was the new BMW that I'd hired just to show her. <laughs> and she was saying how fabulous it was until she noticed it was an Alpha badge. Um, and she realised that she'd been duped, but she'd never had an, a, another one since. But my dad, he, he, got, he got bitten by the bug. He's had... Um, alpha race cars he's raced himself he had uh, a couple of 156s uh he had a 916 gtv um he he later bought a 75 himself that he did a full restoration on and then converted that to run uh, the ron simmons handling kit Uh, we modified the engine and it was a, a it was a really really original example but it was it was probably one of the best original examples that uh, we've actually come across and it was just being sold by a chap in Southampton who his wife had owned it for a few years didn't really know what it was it was rust free amazingly and yeah but he, he still you know took it almost back to a bare shell completely restored it kept it for a few years but currently my parents are alphaless which is soul destroying yeah that needs fixing yeah absolutely so so normally my follow-up question to how did you get involved is what you, what's your first car and you've answered that and and then the next one is typically do you know how many you've had since then but i know people in your line of business typically they either couldn't possibly answer that question or it's it's a ridiculous number i am def- i probably am a good answer for both of those actually <laughs> um <laughs> in the early days you know when I, when i was 18 i think i had 375s i had a a lovely a V6 that was uh, I'd put an SZ engine into and redone all the interior with leather and all the LE seats and, and bits and pieces. I had another 75 that it was known at the club at the time, but it was uh, 698 horsepower and it was heavily, heavily modified. And that ironically was the start of, I think, just collecting alphas. So much so that, you know, last year we did a, a kind of count up 
just as, as to how many I had in all the places. And when it got to 60, um, as in currently owned, we decided to stop counting because it was it was highlighted how utterly ridiculous it was. The 698 horsepower one, I, I think I saw you say on Facebook the other day, that might have been slightly too much. Yes, it, it was a very exciting car. It was it was just it was just a bit insane. It it started off as just a bit of a, a sort of track toy that I wanted to to do, but I I became obsessed. And a little while before, there was uh, one of the twin turbo Dowie uh, GTVs that was around that was approximately 500 horsepower. And I'd sort of decided, well, that's what I'm going to go after. And it, it got to the point where I'd I had a different gearbox casing made on the car. To actually get the power from the engine to the gearbox, I'd taken a prop shaft off of a 1,000 horsepower truck and had it adapted to go in the car. It was just mad. I, I ended it at a, an event at Elvington Aerodrome, or Airfield, I think it's called, and I was recorded doing 186 miles an hour at the end of the straight, and that was with a, a misfire. <laughs> so it, it had the potential that I, I think it could have broken 200 miles an hour. Certainly the, the gearing, Colotti in Italy made me a special gearbox for it. It had, it had the gearing and on the dyno, it read, I, I forget now, it's many years ago, but I think the, the, the limiter in fifth gear on the dyno was 219 miles an hour. But I'd, I'd never actually got it up that kind of that kind of speed. And you're talking about it in the past tense. Is that is that because it's no longer yours or because it's no longer? Uh, no, I sold it actually to go motor racing. And it was it was at a time when I, I you know, I'd put so much money into it, I, I couldn't do both. So I sold it to a chap. Um, and he took it to the Nürburgring where it stayed for sort of two or three years. And then it just completely disappeared off the, you know, off the face of the earth until last year when the, the yeah. shell uh, appeared on eBay. Um, it had most of the good bits taken off of it, um, but it still had the carbon fiber panels on it that uh, I'd put on. I'd converted it to a Porsche brakes on the front. They were still on it. But all the gearbox transmission and everything, that had been taken. And then it, it disappeared again. So I assume that it's met its demise, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a shame. But it was it was actually quite it was quite upsetting. It was at, at the time when when I was building the car, I'd had a motorcycle accident and I was told I was never going to walk again. And I was in a wheelchair and I'd been hospital for several months. Uh, I was in a wheelchair for a few more months. And at the time, my family would take me over to a council garage where the car was stored and I would shimmy off the wheelchair and roll around under the car, taking the gearbox in and out, trying, you know, trying to get the, the thing to work. And so at the time, it was a, a very difficult period of my life. And it was kind of uh, the release of the stresses of, you know, potentially what that was. So it was an emotional thing. I got very upset when I sold it. And then I got very upset when I saw it again. That's probably a bit, a bit sad, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, an, it was an important time of my life. So it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty special to me, really. But it's, yeah, shame. I won't ask you to take us through the 60 you currently have and the ones you've had in between, but there must be some some favourites over the years. <sighs> I saw, I get very attached to cars. So the, the issue mainly I have is that I, I just don't sell them when I've decided that I want something new. And it, you know, it gets put to the side and I use them. But, but typically of recent times, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, I had both the Julia and the Stelvio N-Ring. Um, I had the 4C as well, all at the same time. And the, the new direction of what, what Alpha is with those three particular models, it's been mind-blowing to me. It's just been absolutely fantastic. I've been so, as an enthusiast of the brand, proud to talk about those particular products. And yes, they have their flaws that are represented in the press, of course. But, you know, when, when you can talk to people and you can say that you bought a car, which is X amount of money, and it, it's one of the very few in the world that has a carbon fiber tub, there's, there's not many people, unless they're talking supercars, that can rival that. There's also not many people that they can say that, you know, they have a, a sports saloon car that has the performance figures that, that the Julia has. And it's, you know, whereas previously I've, I've always been 
a little frustrated with the brand where they'll do their their sort of top of the range model, um, like a Mito QV, for example. And it's a great little car. It's a great little pocket rocket. But if you go to other brands, they do a very similar car, which is it's, it's a lot more expressed in what it is they're trying to achieve. And I, I just find, I, I always sort of find that I wish they would just go that bit and go, no, actually, we've got the best. Yeah. And I feel that they've done that with the Julia. I feel they've done that with the Stelvio and to an extent with the 4C. So it's I've been a proud Alfisti for the last you know five, six, seven years now. I was not really surprised, but I saw the, the reviews this week from Autocar of the new M3 against the now five-year-old Julia. And the Julia still comes out on top. And you just think, there's not many times in the last 30 years or so where you could have hoped for a, a five-year-old Alpha to trounce BMW's latest Julia killer. Exactly. I mean, you know, it, it just brings a smile to my face. It's it, it's it's fantastic and it's brilliant to be involved with them and, and, and learn about them. And as I said, just that the, the direction of, of what the brand is doing, it's, you know, it, even now it's the only flaws or issues they can pick up against i read the same the same article the only flaws still are what they said in 2016 yeah. the infotainment system isn't as, as quite as plush but then you know i said my, my mother has bmws and I, I actually get a bit frustrated with how many options there are in the dashboard and you can get lost in it for days i actually like the simplicity of the alpha one well you can always you've always got the option of the twin channel akropovich entertainment system at the back yeah of course of course certainly on my ones i've, I've put the the valve thing on that that means they're just permanently open anyway in all modes and i i sort of wish that that's how they come as a minimum from the factory you know with the akroprovich perhaps a an add-on that would be fantastic so they're you know the three recent ones and we talked about the 75 there's there's a few people i i guess who would say that you know the period between the 75 and those three cars was wasn't alpha's finest few years but any any favorites from that period the, the gta has to be a favorite um it wasn't long ago that I owned uh, all three variants of the GTA, uh, and I, I begrudgingly sold them all off because I, I bought a house. Yeah, we, we tend to, in, in the race car circles, we tend to use the 156 and the 147 because the chassis is actually a fantastic chassis. And again, you know, they had they had flaws in terms of what they were, but they, they were good cars. And the Twin Spark engine, although it's not necessarily the most powerful, was you know a, a cracking engine. They'll rev to 7,000 RPM all day long if you keep the oil changes regular. So, you know, again, they're just good examples of, of, of what the cars are. But in, in terms of that period, probably the GTA, I would say. But it was, I think I, I lost a little bit from the 33 and the 75s going into the, the sort of, you know, bump, right. five sixes perhaps. Um, but they're, they're certainly the, the cars that I know most about currently. And they were, they were pretty good. But I think in terms of, of favorite other ones, I've got a Sud. Uh, I've got an Alfetta GTV. And for very different reasons, I absolutely love them. Uh, they're just brilliant. I think it, it's a difficult question to ask to me because I am an Alfisti in a in a big way. So I, I find it difficult to say that any particular was my favourite because at heart I love them all. We we touched on when you started racing in in terms of the transition from the the monster seventy five. What what got you into racing and 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 how did the how did that go in the early days? Um, it was Bianco, uh, ironically. Because obviously my mum had the 75 uh, and she would often pick me up from school and then we'd have to go and drop the car off at the garage uh, for Gary and Harry to do some repair work. Um, and a few times I would go with her and, you know, they'd, back then they were, were very big in, in motorsport as well as the normal workshop. Uh, and they, you know, they'd often have the race cars there and they'd let me sit in them uh, and look over them. And I always remember sitting there 
I think I was with my father at the time and we was all having a cup of tea and I must have been 14 or 15 perhaps and I, I said there and then that one day I'm going to come motor racing with you I'm going to get a racing car and I'm going to I'm going to do it too because uh my father raced you know when i was very young i remember going to watch him my grandfather rallied uh so it's sort of always in the family and it was in a car that i was getting an, an affiliation for yeah the brand and then i was i think the first race car i bought i was 22 which was a 33 uh, it was a 16 valve 33 um and that's kind of where it started and then uh, you know i ended up with all, all sorts of, of race cars and it's again it's another thing uh, that's got completely out of control and what, what would you say were the highlights of the, the racing career? One of the highlights I had was uh, in 2013, I went to the Nürburgring to race in the European Championship. Uh, and I'd bought a 147 GTA Cup car that used to support the World Touring Car Series. Uh, and when I bought it, I bare-shelled the car, uh, started again from scratch, uh, made the engine more powerful, uh, replaced loads of the panels with carbon fibre and Kevlar. So I finished with a car that was, uh, you know, is a, a 147 GTA that weighed 913 kilos that had 250 horsepower and it was a twin spark engine. I, I didn't even test the car. We just, uh, you know, a group of us jumped in the motorhome, went over, just thought for a weekend of, you know, a bit of a jolly. And the, the weather was, it was horrendous. It was so, so wet. And there was a, a chap over there called Ron Sannon who uh, had a 156 that had a quite a powerful V6 engine. And he'd won nearly every single race for about five years. And at the end of the race, we actually beat him by half a minute. He he wouldn't he refused to take his crash helmet off to go onto the podium because he was so <laughs> agitated by it. Um, and it, it was it was fantastic. Uh, that, that was a, a really great event. I won the championship in two thousand and nine, which again was you know it was it was brilliant. I actually I raced three different cars that year due to you know incidents and engine failures and other bits and pieces. But it was it, it was a, a tough you know it's a tough year. There was tough competition, and I suppose those two events. All those two things are probably the, the highlights, really. How did you get from visiting Bianco and, and sitting in the race car to where you are now? It kind of was almost a natural progression, you know, because I had a few alphas um, and Gary and Harry, who, you know, at the time were running Bianco, they used to help me. And that they weren't like other garages. You know, at the time I was you know, a young man trying to fund these these cars that were really beyond the limit of what you know I could afford at the time. And they, they sort of took me under, under their wing. Uh, and they'd let me do some work in the workshop. They would teach me to do stuff. Uh, the, the first full engine build that I did was um, I did with Harry in the evenings. You know, Gary was involved. And it, it, it sort of got to the point where uh, I was working as a, a senior engineer for the London Underground. And I'd been saving money in the background. And I presented them an idea of, you know, why don't I buy into Bianco? Uh, you know, you can, they, they taught me quite a lot of stuff to do with the brands. Um, I'd already worked for other brands. I'd worked for Citroen and I'd worked for Ford. So I had a background anyway. But I really, really enjoyed working on the Alphas and I enjoyed working with Gary and Harry. And, you know, sort of to my disbelief at the time, because, you know, I think I was being more irritating than things. I was there nearly every day. You know, I become part of the furniture. When I proposed an idea, they said yes. Uh, and, you know, they, they thought it was it would be a good idea because it gives them an extra pair of hands, which they desperately needed anyway. It was uh, an investment into the business, which you know, now from where we were then to where we are now has helped the business massively. And, you know, we, I think more importantly, we all actually got on and got on really, really well. Uh, and that was in, that was two years after I started racing. So that was about 2010. Right. Uh, so I, I bought in, I became a, a partner of the business. And then, yeah, it, it grew. We moved a couple of times until we get to where we, where we wanted to get to. In the end, where we are now, we actually built the premises because in the area of the country we are, premises is so valuable that it, it's very difficult to 
uh, get somewhere that means you're capable actually to grow your business without having very serious investment in the first place. Uh, so we, we built the premises that we're in. Uh, that took a couple of years and we moved in, oh, we started 2017, moved in the end of 2000, oh no, beginning of 2019. Uh, and that's where we've been since. So we've, uh, it's, it's been quite a transformation. Um, mm. You know, the, the people that remember Bianco back in the sort of the early 2000s or mid 2000s, they were in a, basically a little shed behind somebody's house. And where we are currently, you know, we've got just over 17,000 square feet of space. Uh, we've got a parts department upstairs. There's seven people that work for the company. NMOT station. We've got a, a 2,400 horsepower dyno that we do dyno tuning on. And if you could say in 2010, when I started to where we are now, I don't think people would, would really believe it. But the, you know, everyone worked hard. Everyone did well. Um, Harry, Harry and Gary were, were brilliant because they had this, you know, this young guy with all these brilliant ideas, which of course they were brilliant, um, trying to, you know, push a lot of change through. And I think it was difficult, but they, they were they were brilliant in supporting the direction and, and the idea. Unfortunately, Gary's now retired, uh, which was it was, a, it was a big loss to the business. Yeah. Gary, Gary and Harry grew it from working in dealerships and doing private jobs after work into their own business, you know, in the mid 90s. Um, to now, as, as far as I can tell, I think one of the biggest alpha specialists in the country um, in, in terms of, of size. So that the difference, you know, it, it was huge. And I, I think that Gary decided that, if, you know, if he didn't stop, he would actually be doing it, you know, until the, you know, the day he passed on, I think. So yeah. he decided that, you know, the business was in, in a good place. He'd overseen all the change and, and growing from where they were to what they what they are now. Um, and he decided that if he was ever going to get out, it was a good a, good a time as any. So Gary retired. Harry stayed on. Harry's still, you know, they're running the business. You know, some of the biggest changes were getting staff who were good, passionate about the brand. And we're, we're lucky enough that a couple of the guys we've taken on from, you know, from 14 years old, actually, at school uh, and, you know, got them through the apprenticeship scheme. They've never worked on anything else. So they know the brand fantastically. We have a guy, uh, Mark O'Reilly, who works for us, who uh, actually was... Uh, at one point, went on uh, to a, an event, uh, Alfa Romeo in Italy, for all the DETs in the country, and he came out as the actual the number one UK technician. And that, you know, we considered that we can attract people like this, and that's a feather in our cap. Uh, Mark's been with us for a little over a year now. And as I say, it's, it's been difficult through the coronavirus and, and everything, you know. Yeah. But Bianco, it's just come on so far from where it was, and the, the team that we've got, we're 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 so chuffed. Everyone worked well. It's brilliant. Do you think Gary and Harry were ever a bit disappointed you weren't called Barry or Larry? Uh, yeah, there, there was sort of there was sort of jokes about that type of thing. Absolutely, um, <laughs> and there was there was always jokes. You know, people would all because it was Gary and Harry, they'd always get confused who was who. And people used to sort of take the Mickey that Harry was a bit of a larger man, whereas Gary was a skinnier man. Whereas the big G is you know it, it's a big symbol, and an H is a smaller symbol, and it, it used to confuse people completely. But yeah, it's just a shame I I ruined it by being called Paul. How big is is the race car rental side of the business now? How many how many cars are you looking after? Um, the we we. Well, in terms of actual race cars across the board, it's 24, I think, we currently look after. Uh, they're not all just alphas. Uh, there is a few that we use for um, you know, for other other events where there, there isn't anything suitable uh, in an alpha or, or it needs to be a brand specific. But we, at the beginning, or in lockdown, we, we sold most of our fleet, actually, uh, simply because... It, it sort of it, it transpired a, a couple of events that we actually had more cars sitting in the workshop not being driven than cars that were actually on the track being driven. Um, and again, it was it was just like the road cars; it was becoming a collection. So we we put them or most of them up for sale, and I, I think we sold seven in total. 
uh, who have all gone to other people. But we've, you know, we didn't rest on our laurels. We've got another uh, two that are nearly finished now. Uh, one that hopefully, uh, which we'll get onto shortly, Colin will be racing. Um, and then we're we're just in the process of building two Juliettas as well, which will be a, a new class going forward to support the Mito that David Faithful has been using, uh, built in uh, the same ethos as that car. So they will compete with it uh, in their own sort of multi-air class. So is it is it the expectation that one or both of the Juliettas will be out this season, or yes, is that going to be a bit tight? No, they should be. The roll cages are they're all done. Um, they've been made by Dave Peddy up at DPMD, uh, who did the Mito cage. Yeah, uh, he's the nominated supplier. He's done us two for the two shells that we've got. We've got most of the bits now arrived actually to to build the cars. But the, the ethos behind building the car is that they should be simple enough that if somebody wants to just buy a kit they could actually do it in their garage at home and prepare it and be competitive on the grid. You know, we're, the, the, the Twin Spark Cup started off like that, but over the years it's evolved and it, it means the cars need to be built in a certain way. And if you don't have the experience, it's, it's, it's quite a chunk of, uh, of knowledge to get from just a, a road car that's turned into a race car to actually where they, where they are now. And, you know, the, I think the lap times prove that even now we're 14 years from the, when the class started. We're still setting new lap records where the cars are. They're not being developed as such, but they are being improved. Whereas the idea with the, the Giulietta sort of Mito multi-air direction is that, that there's not going to be the flexibility or the room to do that. You will be able to, you know, you could you could buy the kit, build it in your garage, turn up, and you've got the same machine that Bianco have got sitting yeah. under their awning next door to you. And if you're a better driver, you stand every chance of winning. Um, so I think that's a really positive step. But I'm, I'm hoping that all four of those cars will be out soon. Brilliant. That's the plan. Moving away from the, the real racing a little bit, you were you were one of the first Alpha Championship drivers to sign up for, for our virtual series. Have you found it so far? I really enjoy it. Uh, I hadn't done a huge amount of, of sim racing when we started. Uh, I know, you know a few of the other guys who have been in and out of the championship did quite a lot. And it, you know, it sort of started with lockdown. Obviously, it was it was a bit of fun, something to do for an evening. But I enjoy it. It's, it's infuriating at times, as I'm sure we all find it that way. Uh, and I know that I've certainly been involved in my fair share of of causing it to be infuriating. Uh, there's no hiding behind that at all. But it's for, for something that is you know started off as a bit of fun. There's now the live commentary, uh, which is is brilliant. You know, you, you can watch it back afterwards on YouTube. Uh, you've now got Reeve who's joined it as well. So there's, there's two guys. It's, 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 really, it's really good. It's great to be part of. It's something that the club should be really proud of. And I think McRae and Reeve have, have added a lot to that. So for, for people who you know, haven't taken part and, and have just watched the, the coverage, how different is it from driving a real car on those circuits? It's something that you know, people may not have noticed as such, but from where I was when we first started to where I am now, it I think it shows actually that there is quite a strong difference with the virtual stuff i find myself more having to game the game if that makes sense um whereas you know in the race car or, or any of the race cars once you get used to the dynamics of the car and how the tires work you know the feeling of what the car does through your bum naturally it, it's something that is you know you can really play with and and use but i i find that the, the virtual racing i'm a lot more comfortable with it now than i was the move from looking at screens to VR was a, was a massive step uh, in terms of the realism and then how it affected me. But you know, when you, once, you, once you really get into it, there is a lot of similarities. And I, I understand why people who are very good at sim racing often can actually cross over and be very, very quick in, in a car. I think it's a lot harder the other way. You know, I, I found it difficult at first to 
to get onto the pace. And now if I can keep it between the white lines, I often find myself, you know, very close to the front. But that change, I think, was was difficult. But yeah, it often shows if, you, if you're a good sim driver, you can do it in the real world too. Well, I guess that makes sense because if you've, if you've managed to do it well with all the bits of feedback missing that you'd get in a real race car, then when you get the extra feedback, that's that probably a bonus. Yeah, for sure. The, the things that I struggled with initially was, you know, the, the reaction. I, I was doing a lot of spinning and crashing because I, I wasn't reacting quick enough to what the computer was doing. But when, when you're in a, an actual car, you know, your, your natural senses tell you that the car is, is doing something it shouldn't. So it was it was just something that I had to really work on really similar to a race car if you go to a new circuit or you're in a new car it's very it's not very often that you'll go straight out and be quick you know you need to put in the laps and the practice um and the the sim is the same and i think if you know if people put in the effort and they learn they 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 can get good at it you know look at yourself from from where you were to to where you you know where you are now you still have some brilliant crashes (laughs) still a long way to go but but... it's been improvement (laughs) yeah no there has been an improvement yeah and it's, it's just brilliant fun it is. So you mentioned Colin already. Um, where did the idea of putting one of our sim drivers into one of your cars come from? It, it sort of started more, there were things that probably led up to it. We were kind of known, or it transpired, we got a bit of a rude awakening at Bianco a few years ago where we would meet people and, and they didn't. They had no idea that we did road, road cars. They thought we were just racing cars. And we found that quite alarming because we had a good customer base. You know, we do all the, the servicing, maintenance, we do restoration work. But many, many people only knew us for racing. So we made the conscious decision actually to become more involved with the owners club. We sponsored a couple of the events that the, the owners club have done already. We did uh, Southern Alpha Day. Uh, and we, you know, we've been involved in other other bits and pieces and trying to get along to section meetings and just to to try and give back to the club what actually over the years the club has inadvertently given us by having the enthusiasts and the people that come to use us, whether it's a road car or a race car. And it, it, it kind of developed in the sense that we'd done something a couple of years in the row that you know was was involved with the club, but obviously coronavirus hit and that, that there was going to be nothing. And then obviously we got involved in the first season or the first two seasons of the racing and there was prizes being awarded. So I sat down with Harry and just said, you know, it, it, it could be an opp- another opportunity to promote ourselves within the club, promote the, the motorsport side of, of what we do within the club, because the club have been making a great effort in, in recent years to be involved in the racing, which, is, which has been a fantastic achievement for all involved. So we said, well, you know, it's, it's worked in other, other areas where people have won sim stuff. So why don't we why don't we try and do the same thing? Uh, so obviously I contacted you and said that, you know, if we do a, a significant championship, something that's going to be tough, you know, that people are going to have to really work hard to achieve, then we'll, we'll happily provide the prize at the end where that the winner of the championship can actually get in a real race car and follow their dreams. And sometimes it didn't look as though Colin was working quite as hard as everybody else was having to, but I, but I think <laughs> <Yeah>. he did. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, you know, even if you look now, obviously, you know, he's one of the quick guys. He's certainly who I I click on to to see what he's doing. I follow his times as well as Matt and certainly Ted. You know, the, the, the last season when Ted was putting in lots of effort, there was often times when we'd message each other because we'd, we'd done a, an hour of testing and managed to pick one by a tenth. And when you think we had 30 rounds at 17 different circuits in five different cars and 750 points up for grabs, and not only did it come down to the final round, but there was only five points in it and less than 50 points between the top three with 25 points for a win. You really couldn't have asked for a closer finish. Yeah, to, to be honest, with with how difficult I sort of found the transition to be up there more regularly than than not, it, it just goes to show actually how brilliant they are. 
you know, and it did go to the last meetings and I unfortunately had a bit of an adverse effect on the outcome, which uh, I, I don't think I could apologise anymore to Ted. It was a very unfortunate set of circumstances, but throughout the season, these things do work themselves out. You know, you have good luck, you have bad luck. I don't think it was quite close enough that it really made a difference, but um, but it did, did open the gap a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did. But but what it, it certainly showed was that those three guys were consistently at every, every event at the front. They were blisteringly quick amazingly consistent and in such a wide range of totally different cars i'm not sure we'll ever do a championship that ambitious again with cars that range from a 1970 gtam to that beast of a gt3 8c and across 17 different circuits yeah it was i i actually love the fact that we went to so many different circuits to do it uh, there was many that i would never driven in real life there were some that I, that I had but the, the thing that that was impressive and which i hope you know when when colin gets his opportunity it it shows because there was just some circuits and some cars that I just could not get on with. Even the current one we're doing now, actually, the uh, the, the the single seater, I I'm struggling with. I I just I can I can be quick, but invariably I will just crash the damn thing and and that's it. But those guys would all the different circuits, all the different cars, and then the the, the combinations in between were consistently at the front, and it was it was really yeah. impressive for somebody who is quite heavily involved in motorsport to see to actually see that from a motorsport perspective it was all three guys it was really really impressive to see talking of colin um i know covid's affected that as well a little bit where where is colin's journey and is it is it now going to be too tight to make the the first round even though it's delayed yes i think so simply uh because of actually colin trying trying to get his license uh, so as it was uh, in the, I think it was the Driver magazine that come through just recently. Uh, yeah. Colin has got his license pack. Um, he's 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 done everything he needs to with that. But before you can send it away to get your license, you actually have to go and do a course at a racing circuit. And he's he has it booked. It's all done, paid for. But until the government allow uh, the scenario where actually two people can sit in the same car, because when you do the test, there's a, a theory element to it, which is classroom based. And then the second half of the day is usually actually on track to ensure that you're safe um, and you're not going to do something you know stupid and damaging. Yeah. So in, until those restrictions are lifted, uh, it's, gonna, it's going to be delayed. Based on uh, what I read actually just today, uh, I think that's probably not going to be until sort of the middle of May. So I think he's going to miss the first meeting, may even miss the second. But we, we've had a couple of conversations and, you know, certainly we've said as, as far as we're concerned, it, it doesn't really make any difference, you know, as to when it is. It, the, the romantic story of it being at the first meeting obviously would have been fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it, it can still be the same sense of occasion if it's at the fifth meeting or, you know, if it's just the first one that Colin can, can get to but because everything, you know, is in place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll keep in touch and we'll we'll make sure that we cover the the progress through the the license and stuff as well as the the first meeting. Um, but we'll definitely be there once he is actually on the grid. I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, I've really just got one more question. Okay. Um, we spoke earlier on about alphas you've owned in the past. Yeah. Anything that's still on your wish list? Oh, if I could have probably. The ultimate one at the moment is probably it'd probably be a GTAM. Um, you know, we we have a couple that are the wide body versions that we use for the racing. It doesn't matter what angle you look at them from; they're just beautiful. They're raw. Uh, they're they're, they're an, an exciting car. You know, they're not for everybody's cup of tea. I, I consider us at Bianco to be really lucky that you know we work on Julias, we work on Stelvios, but we have a, a huge amount of clients that that trust us to work on their cars that are from you know the fifties, the sixties, seventies. But I think that the the prettiness of the GTA anyway, it, it's, it is actually one of the few models I've not owned. 
And right. I think that's probably the reason why most most other sort of models from the 70s onwards I have owned or own still, but one of those I haven't. So I think I think yeah, 105 would would, would probably be it. And, and a new Julia GTAM sitting next to it. I very nearly did. Um, <laughs> I, I actually, for for me, it was the price the price point was just too much. You know, again, we're quite lucky. The guy who's dealing with it, James Browning, he's actually a, a personal friend. He's he's in charge of the whole GTAM UK, uh, you know, market, everything that's happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and bless him, he he knows that he doesn't have to try very hard to get me in a car anyway. Hence the reason why I ended up with two end rings. Uh, as far as I know, uh, you know, according to Alfa Romeo, I'm the only person in the world that actually did that. And the, the GTAM. I, I was so close to, to saying, yes, let's do it. And I'll sell one of the other ones. But as special as the car is, to, for, for me, I would want a little bit more before spending that sort of money. And I, I hate saying that. It, it, it almost hurts saying it, actually. But as special as it is, I went to the, you know, to the launch day, as, as you did as well, and, you know, sat in the car and, and everything. And it's a it's a brilliant, brilliant machine. And I, I think that it is probably fairly priced. Many don't. Uh, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I know they don't. But... <laughs> I mean, that, it would be the ultimate combo for sure to have a, you know, an original one and the latest version. That would that would be mega. If somebody in the world has that, I will be so green-eyed that I know I'm, I'm not sure I'd even be able to get out of bed in the morning. I still have a sneaking feeling that man might just be you. That's all we have time for this week. But thanks very much to Paul for taking the time to join us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll be back in two weeks' time on the 28th of March at the usual time of 1:30. Available from YouTube, iTunes, Podcast Addict, and all the other places good podcasts are found. So until then, stay safe.